All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have John San Juan, singer, songwriter, guitar player um, to many groups, but today we're talking about the Hush Drops, which was kind of a Chicago super group featuring drummer Joe Camerino, who, uh, if you remember from our interview with John Lankford, was the drummer for the Waco Brothers and who has recently passed. We, after our... After my interview with John, I went to the uh, Blue Arrow Records show the Waco Brothers were doing. And I didn't know, but it was a memorial show for Joe. Um, He was working with the Waterloo Alley Cat Project. And um, they have a cat shelter behind Blue Arrow for stray cats. And they made a memorial garden for Joe. And the show was pretty strange because it started off indoors with the Waco Brothers... Um, John Langford kept breaking strings and, um, and then went outside and took a minute at this memorial, then came back in and finished up the show. Um, and it was a beautiful, it was a really moving thing to be part of. And, um, you can tell this guy, you can tell Joe was a wealthy guy here. He's from Chicago and all the way in Cleveland, he has a memorial for him, and all the people there that were there were genuinely moved to have known him. John Lankford's the coolest, just pulling off strings. It was the most rock and roll thing that ever happened in a record store. Um, the Hush Drops have a new album coming out. The Static is the name of the record, November 12th. Um, so by the time you're hearing this, the album's out, all the streaming platforms. The vinyl will be coming soon. Um, go to the links below for that. We're going to listen to the song The Sweetest Plum off The Static by the Hush Drops. Someone call me a taxi We better chop you along We'll pack your suitcase in time And make the first train out of here So you bought your way Better buy your way out Somebody's closed your account And that's the sweetest plum of all Well, that's the sweetest plum Yeah, that's the sweetest plum Something to overcome Oh, that's the sweetest plum of all Yeah, that's the sweetest plum Troubles to Peter Told my troubles to Paul That didn't help me at all And that's the sweetest plum of all Yeah, that's the sweetest plum And that's the sweetest plum 
Sweetest Plum, The Hush Drops. The album is The Static. It's available now on all streaming platforms. Before we get into it, I also wanted to note that um, John plays bass with Josh from The Smoking Popes, who was on a couple episodes ago. Um, he's got a record called The Hideout Sessions. It was a live stream thing. It was in the midst of all the COVID. And uh, John was playing bass on it. So it's cool to like uh, kind of go full circle. Um, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and... Um, share all the social media stuffs we do, like the YouTube and Instagrams. It really helps me keep talking to cool people and sharing those insights with you. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into it. Here's my conversation with John San Juan. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, do, I've got a few friends there. Uh, do you know Dave Swanson by any chance? Uh, what's a, a th- Who's he play with? Well, he was the, um, the last thing. I guess I met him when he was playing with a friend of mine named Kevin Jr. Um, who's from Akron. Um, but he's just one of those guys that's sort of been around forever. Um, you know, since like the post-punk era. My friend. I mean, it's, it's like it's like asking about you know. Oh, you're from Manhattan. You know, uh, you know Joe right, Joe right. Smith. You know. Uh, Oh yeah, but I feel like Dave Swanson sounds really familiar. Um, I, I can't remember. Uh, does he run a music shop? I. It seems like he would have to. There's something just. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, I know he's got some sort of weekly radio program. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Possibly on like a college station or something. Um, but. Uh, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that, that's a, I guess that that is sort of a again Cleveland being as you know enormous as any place you know. It is, but it isn't yeah. compared to Chicago. You know, what I mean, it's a lot smaller. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I can't have the top of it. Like I know I've crossed his path before because his name's come up. Like, and if he does, I think he does stuff with the Beachland. Like, I feel like a yes, that is correct. And uh, during the whole like initial shutdown, I was uh, working live streams and stuff for the Beachland. So, like, uh, I'm sure at one of those things he was there or something because I, I remember Cindy talking about him. But I or I remember, yeah, I mean, like it, it's been such a cluster the last couple of weeks. But um, but yeah, no, I definitely know I know him, but I not not well enough to be like, oh yeah, he's doing good. <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, right. And, uh, you know, there's a, a guy, uh, Brandon, who uh, has a band called the Public Squares. I've played with a few times up there as well. Um, when you get when you uh, typically play uh, Cleveland, where do you play? Well, let's see. The last two times I played there and this is, you know, it's been a couple of years now, but uh I played at, and this is confusing because there's two locations, but I played at Happy Dog last time. Okay. Um, and I think a couple years, a year or two before that, um, yeah, I played at the uh, Beachland Tavern. Okay. At the, did you do the bit at the Happy Dog, getting the crazy hot dog with all the stuff on it? Um, I certainly did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But also, you know, we 
I mean, this is really typical. We pulled into town and gone to the wrong happy dog. Oh, no. <laughs> Not yeah. where our gig was. Um, and we're thinking, you know, our gig's here, just like, you know, ignorance is bliss. Uh, and ended up going to this pretty amazing Indian place next door. Okay, so you um, went to one Euclid. All right. And then, yeah, at some point found out, like, no, you got to go back across town and get your real gig. <laughs> I mean, the other one, because that one, that one was a, an old tavern that they, like, modded to be, like, a happy dog, exten- like, extension of the company. And, like, that one had, like, a lifted stage. And the other happy dog doesn't, right? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. But the other one is, I feel like more people go to that other one. And, I like, I don't know why, but... That's the original one. So, like, the other one was, like, a... they get That one actually closed um, a couple of years ago. So, I think you probably got it at the tail end. Pun, oh, dog pun intended. yeah, that's too bad. Because I, I did... Uh, I mean, I thought as far as atmosphere goes, it just, you know, it had everything I needed. Right. No, it was cool. And then they, they had the underdog thing. But the uh, the one you did play is still around. So, um, but, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe like I think because uh, now that whole area where the Indian place is, it's kind of like a college town. And, yes, uh, that's correct. And right. it was already kind of going that way. Right. So I think it had to yeah. be something like that. Um, but to kind of jump into it, uh, yeah. Uh, tell me a. Okay, this might be weird. Uh, I'm a cat guy. I noticed you're a cat guy. Tell me the importance yes. of cats. Oh, they're. <laughs> cats are cats are life. I don't know how to put it. You know, I've been uh you know, we have three and I've been, you know, this morning just you know, it's like a family making a fuss of cats and I've been making a fuss of cats and just uh you know, there's a cat in the room with me right now and I just every little thing that they do you know, whether it's something neurotic or something really relaxed, it's just, it's, it all fascinates me. Even an old cat getting their claws stuck on something. Right. Um, somehow that manages to be, you know, adorable in some way. I'm not fronting. Yeah, there's a, a, yeah, we have an old black cat here right now who is, making biscuits on a stuffed animal <laughs> uh, so yeah you know um i don't know how i ever lived without him i know um joe the um drummer of hush drops was i knew that he had all of these fat friendships with the cats at blue arrow right well that's actually why i wanted to bring it up that was my lead-in with it um <laughs> Yeah, because he has a, I was a, I did a, a conversation with a, um, John Lankford. And, oh, sure. Uh, the Waco Brothers played a, a memorial show show for Joe at Blue Arrow. And um, and it was the craziest, like, show I've ever been to because, like, it started off, like, a performance. Then everyone went outside. And then there was this beautiful memorial for Joe in this, like, um, kind of couch shelter behind the place that, I guess he was helping uh, um, this foundation called uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the foundation. That's really bad right now. Um, but it was for stray cats, and um, yes, and it was it was a super sweet, beautiful thing. And then we all went back inside, and they finished up the show. 
Um, and then I, when I got when Howard sent me your record, I'm like, oh, this is Joe's other project. So like, I was wondering, like, maybe did is that like a, a Joe thing? Did he introduce you to the cats? No, I think we were both, you know, completely hooked by the time we okay. became friends. Um, <laughs> that was the glue, and it was just, you know, it's it's a, it was you know always a point of bonding, and uh, you know, you know, you have friends, other cat people that like. There's a certain sort of cat humor language that develops just based on their sort of their quirks and the fact that like. You know, there is a certain type of cat that is really working very hard to preserve the appearance of dignity. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and yeah, yeah. somehow a person or an animal obsessing on dignity just ends up being the funniest thing in the world. I don't know how that works. But... I think that's really well put. <laughs> it's, that's the bit. That's Right, yeah. <laughs> they don't even know they're being funny, yeah. <laughs> It's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's akin of uh, parents, like, sharing their kids trying to, uh, this is them trying to say banana or whatever. They're oh, like, sure, exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, or yeah, a little kid arguing, like, in a logical point or something like that. Right. You know, in all, in earnest, you know. Which isn't funny to anyone else except for someone who else, who gets it, <laughs> like... Oh, yeah, yeah, no, there's know. a there's a specific audience for it, for sure, yeah. <laughs> But um, so kind of the jump into it would jump into that more. How do you meet Joe? Well, you know, this is interesting. Uh, I <laughs> so he says. Uh, <laughs> I um, you know, I was twenty two, going on twenty three, and there were a lot of people I knew, musicians and just friends, and. At some point, there was this sort of me and Joe having all of these mutual friends, and his name just starting to come up. I'm like, you know who you should meet? You know who you should play with? And it was this weird thing that gained a lot of momentum, you know, that all of these friends of ours, you know, must have, who knew each of us through very different places, uh, you know, they perceived something, they saw something, you know, that like, I said, those two guys should play together. You know, just know what it was that they recognized, but, um, you know, so we're both hearing this in our own little worlds and, you know, yeah, I, I certainly, I need a drummer and, you know, guy sounds great. You know, you're all saying it and all these people that sort of high credibility, um, and around, yeah, you know, and so it must have sort of culminated in a phone call. Um, so I was called on the phone, and we had this really informal and fun and lighthearted, you know, half hour or hour on the phone, just finding, just talking about all these things like Cheech and Chong and the Ruddles and these sort of mutual points of interest that, you know, in the early 90s, I think were pretty marginal. Um, when you met someone else that, you know, was talking about the Beach Boys smile or about the Ruddles, it was kind of a, it was a kind of a big deal, you know, um, right. it was a signifier of some sort. And I just feel like they, 
next thing I knew we were playing together, but it was definitely, I mean, the engine behind all of that was just this growing number of mutual friends all sort of telling both of us like you 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 gotta you gotta gotta meet this guy that's a that's interesting because like uh it sounds like both you guys like seem to run the circle of playing with a a bunch of different groups as well and like uh like just even looking at all the groups joe's been with and like so it seems it's interesting that the the scene's more supportive and not competitive and I mean that interesting in a good way. Like, that's amazing because, like, it can easily be like, oh, no, he's our drummer. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, as opposed to, you should meet him, too. Like, not saying that it was those same people, but... Um, right. Um, no, that's an interesting... No, there's something very selfless about that um, that yeah, I, I have sort of thought about, like, you know, what what a great world that, you know, people are like, you know, here's who you should be hanging out with, you know, just being giving that freely of that intel right because like sometimes that gets to be so competitive and like um and that's that's a everyone needs a drummer everyone needs a drummer and a bass player <laughs> you know Boy, what I mean? yeah you... always <laughs> until the end of time yeah um, um but okay so at that time what what guitar was your when when were you writing songs and trying to find someone because like let's kind of fill in the gap before you met joe like, were you writing your own songs on your own, or were you just filling in with other groups and seeing how it's done? Like, um... well, you know, I was I, I I picked up the guitar at like a really typical age. Like, I got one for my eleventh birthday, and went through all of you know middle school and junior high and high school, just even you know early college years, just kind of feeling like, well, I playing the guitar this is cool i'm you know playing led zeppelin or i'm learning you know like it was just this it was a very satisfying fulfilling thing but the idea of actually you know songs come from somewhere and they're written by a person and all like that didn't even seem to have any relevance that you know you could write a song and um so probably around you know, 19 or 20, I, because I, you know, and even whatever music I'd done to that point, I was just, I was a guitar, I would be a guitarist in a band and come up with guitar parts and, right. um, you know, um, and then, yeah, I heard, well, I heard the Buzzcocks and mm. specifically singles going steady and just that first side, like, all of those songs, something about something about the sound of them and the way they were written, like it was almost like I was able to, dec- I believed I was able to decode something kind of elemental about them that like, oh man, okay, not only does it, do I like the way this makes me feel, but could I possibly do this? Is there something about this that's transparent enough that I should at least, you know, take a stab at it. And of course, you know, a 20 year old is at least take a stab at it. There's a certain enthusiasm, enthusiasm there that I can't really replicate 30 years later. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so I started writing songs and it was also like, because no one else would, um, 
you know, um, I think a lot of jobs are sort of created that way, like in this sort of not it. Yeah. Fashion. <laughs> Someone's got to write the songs. So I had, yeah, so I had songs and there were guys that I played with and, uh, and it didn't really, uh, you know, it just, it didn't really ever bloom in any way. Um, but I was hooked, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a lot, I think. And, uh, then, you know, so then when Joe came along, it was like, well, so there's a repertoire here. And, you know, at that point I'm 23, like, well, hang out, I'm really writing all the time. And so, yeah, okay. yeah. I was, so, it was right, yeah. So there was a yeah. reservoir of stuff. And then it's... there was a reservoir of stuff that was ever expanding, and I guess his contribution to the whatever the things that were being written in that moment that were emerging in that moment that he was really able to play them in such a way that just developed them a lot and gave them a certain depth that you know I wasn't even aware of as an option. Right, because like even watching some live clips. And seeing like you two interact on the stage, or like what, like just like a, I found I forget what concert it was. It was the venue star with an R, um, but it doesn't matter. Um, like it seemed like that chemistry was there, the like kind of to support the song, and like it definitely comes through on these records. Like going through all three of the records, and like they're dense, and like and it's interesting you say the buzzcocks because I was like, I'm hearing something. In these tunes, there's like a through line of inspiration, but it's not like I don't know what it is. Like it's rougher, and like that makes a lot of sense. And, and like I think it speaks volumes that you were able to make it your own. That on my end, I'm like trying to figure out how I know this a little, this feeling a little bit, you know. Um, but okay, so would he contribute songwriting wise as well? Joe? Um, you know, I mean, it was. I mean, it's certainly. I don't think he ever considered it his duty. Um, or a responsibility, but, you know, the fact is, you know, I think within a few months of us playing together, within half a year, certainly, um, you know, he showed me a, just a very small fragment of melody that he had, um, and, you know, literally like, you know, four bars of music or something like that, and, you know, instantly it was like, oh, that's cool. So you go, so, okay, so I'll play it back to you. And, go, da, 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 da. and then go to this chord here. And um, it was, you know, so he, he wasn't, he had something. And it was the only time we ever really worked that way. But yeah, he had something and just you know, allowed me to run with it and for then for the two of us to sort of run with it back and forth. Um, so the expectation, you know, through our sort of musical life together was definitely that if there are going to be songs, you know, John's going to write them, but periodically, you know, Joe might have a song or have an idea for a song. I think, you know, one of his, I mean, I think he may have found it easier to start, right, start songs than finish them, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, that does. Like, it's easier to plant, like, a, or at least get an idea for a song, like a song seed type thing, and, like, have someone who knows what to do with it, um, or someone who's used to modding that language kind of make it flourish. But, you know, I mean, that happens with me as well, where sometimes I'll have some initial, just that initial musical impulse, and I'll think, man, this is something else. This is going to be, this is going to be a killer when I get finished with it, and just, literally not being able to find my way out of the musical escape rooms. And sometimes they stay fragments, you know, for all of eternity or, you know, for maybe for, you know, a decade or something. It's a, it's a, um, do you, um, as far as like, what's that process? Like, do you have like a routine? Like I did a, I did a conversation with Steve Dawson, um, from, a Steve. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and um he's got this this whole songwriting workshop and like reading his book kind of changed my uh outlook it's i read his book um the uh, uh take it to the bridge and um jeff tweedy's book how to how to write a song in a day or something like i've never thought about i've always when i wrote anything it just let it happen but i've never thought about trying to make that process like a routine and after reading those two things i'm like oh let me try that and so i've tried to do like an every other day thing um, do you have a routine like that or do you just kind of like, is it inspiration and then you just lock yourself down until it gets out or you, or do you, you have to give up or like, uh, what's that look like? Oh, it's, it's lazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not, and, and as is maybe my brand in life, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty lazy, you know, and it is really just like, you know, I, I, I take any using the word impulse recently because every once in a while periodically i'll get what i can only describe as a musical impulse and it's just like some little bit of melody or some bit of enthusiasm and yeah inspiration as you say and then you know absolutely um you know i will uh nine times out of ten you know unless i'm drifting off to sleep or something like that um you know i'll uh chase it and uh so it really is like like chasing a butterfly with a net and man sometimes it takes like a second to catch it like okay here's the whole thing and i swear it was you know you know whatever it was dreamed up and completed in less time than it takes to sing and then there's other times where you know, it's more like uh, the character Mr. Music from Sesame Street, um, <laughs> where uh, you're you're trying to you're you're trying to find the other puzzle piece, and uh, it's just it's evasive, you know. Yeah. That's, it's, but that's interesting. I haven't read yeah. Jeff or Steve's books, and you know, some of that may be out of a simple fear of. Uh, well, what if I forget what I already, you yeah. know, whatever it is that I think is working for me, what if I forget that? Yeah. It's interesting that, that, that kind of fear for, for like, cause I, I don't know. I, I, there's certain things I'm the same way with that. Like that fear of like, uh, ruining the, uh, or, 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 uh, what's the word? Like, uh, tainting the, the saint, the spiritualness, the sacredness of, of the, uh, unknown, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, right. it's so weird it's so but it's it, it's so common i feel with like musicians are creative like well if i get rid of this cool poster that i had when i started that could be a thing um that's maybe me personally um 
Oh, you know, there's an element of, yeah, whatever baseball superstitions, um, you know, that it's, I feel like it's almost adjacent to that. It's like, okay, you can't actually prove that, like, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, in the middle of a no-hitter is actually, you know, causing a certain outcome, but you wouldn't dare stop doing it. Right. Yeah, I wonder what that is. And it seems to be a thing with just with an outlet of a thing. You know what I mean? If it's creative outlet, if it's sport outlet, if it's like if it, if it's a, a focused goal, there's like these weird like sacred uh nooks we kind of find that we don't detamper. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I don't, you know, right. It's I I can't say objectively whether or not that's a uh, you know, that's a healthy you know, whether or not that's a healthy um, methodology, but uh, but here we are, right? <laughs> but you know, and I, I don't think in this 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 type of thing, I don't think it matters. I think it whatever brings you that comfort to do what you need to do is what you need to have. And like, um, if it's you know, if it's diving in stuff or shying away from stuff, I think that's good. You know, because you have your thing working for you. And I think in the grand scheme of things, just having the thing. Like so many people are spending so long, so so much of their life trying to find what the thing is, and like uh, personally, I feel really grateful to find the outlet of making noise and organizing it and saying this is what I do. <laughs> and, oh yeah, uh, like I can I can make some version of this noise again for you if you right. you know if you want me to yeah. <laughs> and eventually, people are like. That noise is pretty good. Here's five dollars. I'm like, yeah. I like this noise better than the other noise that you made. Um, do, do that noise again. Yeah. Yeah. Do more of that noise. But you know what I mean. But having that thing and having that that goal and thing to go down lead to having like a group of friends like you did that led you to Joe. You know, it's like a lot of these things. Like uh, when you kind of look look back from just doing them, you're like, wow, this is really really kind of special and maybe that's that goes back to the thing maybe it shouldn't be tampered with just roll with it <laughs> i think we answered right, right. Question. the element of fumbling in the dark that's there like you know if it has shown itself to have some apparent value like yeah go with it did you um on a side on a twist have you done stuff with steve uh, I, you know we've never um well we, what have we done i think it's typically been where a mutual friend would have a uh, a gig or some sort of obligation, and Steve and I would be two of the people who participated, who were asked to participate. So that and that is the basis of our okay. I mean, Steve's an extremely pleasant person, um, and uh, you know, so he's easy to be around, and um, yeah, in every thing like that so you know for example there was some scenario where i don't know how this ended up happening but it was like a one-off gig where you know my wife is in a kiss tribute band she plays uh wait what yeah my wife is yeah she is uh she's she is in you know dressed in peter chris's makeup and plays drums um, and sings beth and black diamond and all of that um and uh but uh, so there was some gig where it was like there were a series of female-led sort of 70s um, tribute bands that were playing. And for some reason, my wife's band, there was some sort of scheduling conflict. And while well, we 
for the kind of show it is, we need a third. And somehow I brainstormed with some other friends of mine and come up with the idea of doing a one-off. Well, let's do a Carpenter's set and just kind of do the big hits from the Brown album. Um, nice. The greatest hits. And so Steve, so Steve was brought in for that, not by me, but um, by the woman who was singing. And, you know, and there's, there's Steve behind the drum kit you know, uh, giving it a perfectly uh, compelling Hal Blaine slash Karen Carpenter. Um, so it's always been in situations like that where, uh, you know, he hasn't necessarily been leading or even performing his own work, but um, seems absolutely happy to just join in you know and i guess that's a, that's a version of being having been bitten by the bug of music that uh you know whatever your life's work is there is this other component which is like well yeah i also like to play so right you know call me you know um yeah that's the beautiful thing about like a um uh I guess a drive for something like music. There's not too many things that like you eventually can get paid to do that involve the word play, right? Like with music, you can get paid to play music. You can get paid to be in a play. You can get paid to play sports. Um, I can't think of any, any other thing. (laughs) You really hit on something there. Yeah. I think, and I know Paul McCartney, um, you know, who is, Certainly no one is going to argue with the success of his methods, um, you know, and or beliefs. He is very much of the opinion that, you know, the fact that play is the active verb there is uh, he thinks that's very significant. And, you know, this is why people like me are still doing it, um, because, you know, ultimately, yeah, you guys you know, you have to show up for certain obligations or whatever, but you're playing right and it's something so like simple but but so driving and i don't know it's interesting with paul mccartney i saw this bit it's my new favorite bit out of a out of a documentary he did that thing with the foo fighters and uh it shows them paul mccartney and dave grohl they wrote the song and they're recording the harmonies and dave grohl takes off his headset and looks at paul mccartney he's like can it always be this easy and paul mccartney's like like arms crossed tilted back he's like it is <laughs> like yes <laughs> and like i found that so funny and profound at the same time especially kind of in the context of songwriting i think maybe this is when i was talking with steve i had all this like songwriting stuff in my head but like here's a guy that's written a million songs has made yesterday you know what i mean like has written the right. the top tier of songs he can literally do anything and there's no fear of it like not necessarily that it's going to be good but he's done everything into it, and like, there's some that are zingers, there's some that are not, and like, and that's that. I thought that was a takeaway. I was like, yeah, it is this easy. You just got to do it, and like, <laughs> oh, right. And maybe you don't get the hey Jude unless right. you're always open to, you know, maybe laying an egg. You know, right? Well, yeah, totally. And like, I imagine like, well, fail. It's interesting because like something is so fun and lighthearted is just being able to play as a thing, um, and as a career, even like. How do you like there's also the risk of the failure and like I think that compels a lot of people not to pursue it as uh joyfully and openly and like cuz there's a lot of like when you when you biff 
it does not feel good. <laughs> like no, it doesn't deploy with it not. Yeah. Um, but you gotta uh, wow. you gotta keep going past that. You know, there's a thing, there's a I don't know what that is, like, but uh there's a thing and everyone has their own individual like um fail proof in their mind to keep doing the thing. And in this case music, like what was yours? Do you have a moment where you like where you biffed and you tried to do the bit? The gig just completely failed, but there was something in it that made you keep going. You're like, well, okay, next time we got to re- rearrange that. Yeah, I think, honestly, because yeah, I did a million times, you know, and sometimes the biggest gigs or the ones on which I placed the most import, you know, those may have yeah. been the biffiest of them all. But there is some sense like, okay, well, you know, I you know I have a friend who has used the phrase about, I feel like I'm all, you know, never i'm only as good as my last gig um and that's my feeling as well like if i have a you know if i have a good gig it's it's a very sustaining thing and if i have a bad one you know like i'm i'm pretty ready to correct it instantly like Mm. and it helps you know um so yeah right you the, the thing that the failed experiment or the the part of it that didn't go off, you know, like that's, that needs to be a teachable moment. Um, and you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, next time I'm not doing that and I'm doing this or, you know, there's some adjustment, there's some lesson in there that you're applying going forward. Um, and yeah, so I guess a lot of it is just the like, well, that can't, I can't let that stand as my last gig. You know, that, that wasn't satisfying. Um, and, and, you know, it, ideally it should be satisfying. That makes sense because, like, uh, you, you, that, that lingering thing is like, oh, all, all I did was I forgot to bring the chord or, you know what I mean? Or I just oh, right. missed that no, one harmony you, note, you know, like, you know, people joke about, like, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm, not super young but about well like people my dad's age and you know, we joke about it um i love my dad he's gonna be 80 on monday um and you know but like he's been one of those people for ages that like okay so we're gonna get to the airport 15 hours early and it's a trope and it's funny and you know, it's kind of maddening in its way but there's also like it seems neurotic but i also get like that's probably born of some series of experiences definitely where people were unprepared um you know sufficiently prepared whatever um so you know i mean it's like i kind of mock it at my own peril because i find myself more and more like reverse engineering my old mistakes out of a new situation and, you know, you'd say, yeah, bringing, you know, what, like, what would it have harmed you to bring your spare base to this gig? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> you bring your spare base, you probably won't break a string. Right, right. Um, leave it at home, you almost certainly will. That's awesome. But those are the things. And, like, I had a, that there's a reason to get there that early. That those are the experiences that you've been through that you know you got to change. Because if not, you're waiting forever for the next flight like yeah and it might bore you to you know have to you know oh i'm just sitting here in nashville airport masked for three hours uh 
you know, it's not not going to be the greatest experience of your life, but um, it's it is absolutely preferable to missing a flight. Does it? Did your dad? Was there music in the family? None. This None? is the weirdest thing. Okay. None. Um, you know, I mean, my mom, my dad, my stepdad, like all of these kind of. 1970s people who had records around when I was a little boy. Um, and, and, you know, so that, I think that if, if a seed was planted, it was probably just the ubiquity of music at that time that, you know, if you were in the car, the radio was on. And, um, but nobody sang, nobody played an instrument. Um, you know, long, there was just no hereditary precedent that would have led to me having any sort of real inclination or ability. Um, so I suppose it's a, you know, this is also a thing I, you know, it, you know, whatever that it's, that it does exist independent of, you know, well, you know, his mother, or mother had a well, listen to his, you know, his mother got that voice from his mother, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah I definitely think it's, um, sorry. I definitely think it's like, at least with me, at least I like to believe it's it's a there is the the genetic uh, factor of like um, an advancement towards like understanding how to do a thing in this case music, but also I feel like there's that work effort angle of it which I think goes underlooked because a lot of it I feel is that and I feel like even if someone's really good and like has a skill set they're born with that maybe is from their family maybe they got paul mccartney's voice because they're paul mccartney's kid doesn't oh, mean sure. that you know doesn't mean like they're gonna have that same drive that uh paul mccartney had to to do what he did or like so i definitely think like uh that's interesting because my family's the same way like my grandpa plays a little bit of accordion but not really and um i got some cousins that played guitar but we all started at the same time you know it really wasn't like or maybe my older cousins started before me but they live in a different state and like uh so family re reunions would be fun, but like, um, there was no like uh, nuclear family. Like, uh, dad plays guitar, mom sings. You know, so that's interesting. And then like now it's the thing. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh. You know. But I mean, there is the thing too. I mean, there's the encouragement. You know, the right. right you know, right. the parent who sees like. Okay, you know, he's 10, he doesn't know nothing, but we know that he needs a guitar. Like, he's obviously headed that way. You know, so there's whatever the sort of enabling and encouragement, and then, you know, a kid gets their instrument, you know, and let's say it's drums, actually, and it just fits the narrative even better because, right. you know, they're allowed. The parent, you're, <laughs> you're those parents, you know, chances are teenage rehearsals are going to be at your house, and it's always going to be at a volume that is. Instruments and vocals, not any less loud than the already very loud drums. Um, or just, you know, having a drummer learning in your home, um, basement or garage or whatever that, you know, so there's a, there's a, there's a sacrifice there that, you know, what, uh, yeah, you, you know, well, you had a hard day at the, hard day at work today, but, you know, if a uh, little, you know, Harry here wants to play the drums, you know, like, well, he could be out. I don't know, he could be out getting into trouble, you know, and better, you know, you always want your children to be nurturing some interest or ability or 
you know, whatever. Definitely. And I think, you know, then there's that, I know where they are. They're cool. Like, but that takes a certain kind of, I mean, I, I feel like no matter when you become a parent, there's an, a selflessness uh, gene that takes over. You know what I mean? And you, but like, yeah. it takes another level of that gene, like, a, <laughs> to be like, we'll buy the drum kit, bring your friends here. Like, oh, that's a big one. Yeah. You know me I mean? in my room with <laughs> me in my room with an, a, you know, an unplugged electric guitar was, is pretty benign, you know, comparatively speaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but right. You know, cause, Right, you're coming up with these things, whatever it is, you know, and it's the same, you know, parent like hockey parents and things like that, you know. And I, we we know if we you know have a few friends who are hockey parents, and knowing like the amount of travel and time off work and the expense and all of these things, uh, but it's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, my child has some interest and aptitude and. You know, you would just feel like a monster if you, uh, you know, if right. you squashed it in any way or sort of deterred it. Because there's so many good skill sets that come out of music or sport, you know, like like the discipline, the focus, the the keeping yourself in check, and like allowing that ad- attempt for that fails, developing that fail safe thing you get. You know, what I mean, if you don't if you don't put yourself in a a thing that kind of nurtures that, like music or sports, you don't get that, and that's a huge payoff like i'm so used to hearing no <laughs> like doing oh, music yeah. like that's 90 percent of all we hear is nah not interested you know what i mean oh sure yeah um right 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 trying to you know like getting gigs or you know that's the word. creating various sorts of opportunities or you know someone to put your record out um but, yeah uh, there is i i do you know this is interesting you're you're i never considered this but you're right yeah right i think that that's dogged determination and seeing the result from it too yeah so like, yeah yeah. i'm not even thinking about this on a conscious level but you know yeah, i played every day for however many years when i really had the luxury of doing it and you know look at me now you know um you know so you have it in your mind that you know but if you if you have a goal that's strong enough there is some precedent for you know persistence paying off definitely perseverance is going to lead to success to some degree and where you put that market you know where that mark is is you know on you i think um but like i because when i i don't know um when i look at someone like joe who i i I don't know but i've seen because when i was prepping to talk with john lankford and um and you and just like Joe came up both times, and I'm looking at all these articles that are written after his passing, and I'm like, seeing that this guy was a very wealthy man, and maybe not financially, but for the amount of support and love he had doing what he did, and like seeing all these, um, like there was honor, like um, shows to honor him, and being a part of one, which I didn't quite know was one until I was there. I was like, in another state, you know what I mean, like. So oh, right. yeah. that's like the, the pinnacle of like success and like, uh, but also if, if we're measuring it financially, maybe not, I don't know. But I think that is way more impactful. And that comes from like, like how you're saying years of working on the, getting this chord progression down and just playing, but not thinking about it in that sense, just doing it. Cause there's that drive to do it. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in his case, you know, the obviously, like, you know, you could look at his playing and, you know, his singing and all of these aspects of him and say, like, oh, God, you know, what, you know, an abundantly naturally gifted person. Um, but similarly, you know, you don't, you know, and I don't think you sit down on it. You know, it's that also comes from a life in music and from being that engaged in it for that long, you know, whatever your sort of, yes, absolutely very unique gifts are, you know, whether you know it or not, you're also getting them to a point where they really shine and where they're really powerful and where you know where to apply them and all of those things. Right. And that comes from that comes from believing in yourself to some degree and being people that want to support and say, hey, meet my friend John. You know, what I mean, like that's a that's cool. Um, got one thing that kind of like a, I read um, in an interview that um, with this new record, the kind of bring it why we're here talking. <laughs> um, you said Joe's playing was more free um, than before. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, it was never not free, but man, um, you know, there was a progression in our work and I think it came out of playing gigs and just, you know, either together or apart, but certainly, you know, this particular band, you know, a trio, the more like ridiculous or humor or hubris or risky a thing a person played the more almost like i'm gonna fit in this wildly inappropriate drum fill and it's not gonna the song's not gonna collapse but i'm gonna get it in there and the drummer and the bassist are gonna turn around and smile like this is like the best gift you've ever given them so i think over a lifetime of having that dynamic reinforced and developing you know and also the fact that we had split up for a little bit and sort of come back together with a renewed appreciation for what we all loved about each other um going into this final you know what ended up being this final round of sessions um and gigs like we were all playing at our most just you know we're not trying to nail a series of parts and you know achieve this sort of grid-like competence like all of us but of course joe more so than anyone um it was like an experiment and you know you know it could be some hokey little three-minute song that i'd written but his approach to it was so um exploratory even if you know well we've played it in a series of gigs and we've rehearsed it and you know this is maybe not the first take um but it wasn't like you know whatever yeah i guess it wasn't building a ship in a bottle so much as really creating it was like having a kid or planting a tree or something where you know the outcome was gonna be unique um 
you know, just whatever the form was, you'd find your little freedoms within it. And I thought that Joe had really reached a peak of playing that way. Hmm. That's beautiful. That takes a long time to do. And it's interesting, like, um, Victor Wooten has this whole kind of a concept. I don't know if you ever dove into his books, but um, he's got this concept about playing air guitar in a way. And, like, um, the, within the book, there's this narrative where it's like, all right, play it like you're thinking about it. Now play it like you're playing air guitar. And, like, oh, uh, right? That just, that warms my heart. Yeah, that right? speaks to me. <laughs> right? Because when you're thinking, it goes back, I guess, to we talked about just playing it in a way. It's just just playing it and making it fun. And like the more you're having fun, the more it kind of comes through. So that's really cool that, and special, I feel like that with this project that you like, and him were uh, Joe were able to have that, that fun, like just playing, winging it, seeing where it goes, allowing that creative joy as opposed to like, cause a lot of times recording is like, we got three days and we're, Fifty dollars an hour. Let's, you know, I mean, I'm watching the pennies fall out of my pocket. Right, yeah, right. Um, and like, and then you start. To, oh, do we need a harmony? I need. It. You start to worry about it. But the fact that there was some of that in this is um is awesome. And like, I think that's a that takes years to develop that comfort. You know, especially with the people you're doing it with. Yeah, I think we fumbled towards it. You know, and it was, and you know, it was an idea that had its genesis with him way back when. Because our first record is, you know, it's fairly baroque and sort of produced and elaborate, and you know, it's just it's almost like our version of a Steely Dan record or something. It's pretty hi-fi, and you know, we did that, and everyone was happy. But you know, a few years later, Joe's like, "No, I think what we really need to do, like the thing that would make me interested in recording, is like we need to capture a live sound." Mm. Um, we do that on a record and then the, the idea is right you're on stage there's a lot of things that are in the moment you're taking risks um you know it's a very different approach you're not sort of building this foundation to sculpt i guess um and so he he was the first one with that idea but i thought about it it's like well you know i like like i don't know the first five van halen albums or something like it just it does it sounds like a party and it sounds pretty unhinged and half of the solos eddie sounds like he's doesn't even really have a plan and uh it just sounds spontaneous you know and that gives it a certain energy so you know he plants this seed and you know each at our own pace jim and i both you know embrace it more and more and more and more and you know it culminates i guess in you know this final record where we're all at our most like if somebody makes a mistake, almost like that's a take. <laughs> and you know, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. everybody, you know, not every it's not for everyone, you know. Um, but uh, you know, the idea is that also like, well, if you're operating at a certain level of I don't know, um I, I hate to I hate to put words like skill into it because it sounds kind of clinical, but um if you're kind of comfortable enough in your abilities and you're in your collective chemistry, um, you know, mistakes aren't like this horrible, dreadful thing. Um, in, 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 except for when they are, of course. Um, but they're generally just like this fun kind of, Oh, that's funny. Your headphones fell off and <laughs> we had five minutes to go on the take, you know? Um, 
and you know those things and I, I think there's a historical precedent for that where there's a lot of artists that are like yes yeah, suddenly you know if somebody you know introduces that element of risk then suddenly like okay well now this has to be the take and we have to work towards making it the take um just so we can have a bit of that energy in it right it's it's interesting because the word mistake has the take in it you know what i mean like oh yeah right i never thought about that until you just said that i'm like that's, that's <laughs> interesting because sometimes sometimes that is like everything else really hits in that flub but how you fix that flub really it's cool i don't know like Everyone else in the world won't care about it or won't even hear it as a mistake. Only oh, us. yeah, I don't think it even... Well, God, I just read... This is interesting. Um, what is it? Uh, Robbie Krieger from The Doors. Oh, yeah, he just put um, out a book. Just put out a book, which I just read. And he just does this little aside about halfway through the book where he goes through the first Doors album, you know, certainly my favorite, um, and is just listing all of these clams that people are making. He's like, yeah, me and Ray play a, I, I play a minor and he plays a major at the end of Crystal Ship. And clearly, you know, that's not supposed to be, and that's a, that's an error. And something about like this person coming in early with something and someone forgetting a line. And it's like, yeah, and that would all, we have the technology now to so easily correct those things and I'm kind of glad that we existed when we did because now those errors, you know, right, give it charm. You know, they give it uh, life. It, yeah, definitely. That's it. Oh man, I've been thinking about getting that book, so I think I have to get it with the with what you're describing. That sounds really cool. I've been going back and forth. I'm like, I don't got time, but I want to read that. <laughs> like, He's pretty funny. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I saw on uh, Instagram he's posting this thing about trying to find his guitar. Um, the original. Yes. Did you see? Okay, yeah. I think the whole, I really want to see the the update where they find it. That would be so cool. That's right. It's funny because he mentioned. I don't think he's quite gotten dedicated to this yet at the time of writing the book. Uh, so it's just kind of it, it appears in the book as just this thing like. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to know where that is now. You know, I, and I just hope it's getting played. And you know, that person, the present owner, has any idea? You know, that it was used to write this or that. Um, but you know, it's just an object. It just got me. You know, it it got me where it needed to get me. But obviously, I think <laughs> that nostalgia unlocked something in them. We're like, no, people find guitars these days, and you do hear these things about Peter Frampton and. Randy right. Bachman and all of these people being reunited with their treasured instruments after half a century. Right, right. No, and like that's that's what's cool about this whole social media. Like, there's a way to spread a thing, being like, "Oh, Grandpa's old guitar that I never looked at actually was Robbie Krieger." You know what I mean? Like, oh, right, yeah. Like, <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. And like, you kind of even just touch upon the like the initial enthusiasm that got you excited. Like, I've I find like showing people some records i grew up with that really inspired me to like want to write or play like there that spike comes back and i'm like oh i'm all into like what i'm listening to and like that's so refreshing to find that enthusiasm and like kind of dive into that nostalgia i don't know what it is but it sounds like that's what happened with you diving into this doors book um but it's so refreshing because oh, yeah. you know of course that was a you know um thing 
you know, and it's just natural. When I was 11, they were a band that I would have been curious about. And, you know, so went through my big initial phase and, you know, and then that tapers off because you're discovering other things and, you know, and they may be a band that, you know, whom, and I personally love them, but they, they may have some cultural baggage or whatever. Um, but then at some point, yeah, whatever it is, you know, reading Robbie's book or thinking about a certain thing, you know, um, you know, Josh Caterer mentioned somehow we had gotten into a Doors talk recently and he was talking about um, a lyric and uh, and I was like, oh, I've never really taken that in before, but that's, that's quite beautiful and profound in its way, like what a thing to have expressed. Um, so yeah, yeah, right, the things that draw you back, you know, you uh, you go and you forget about, you know, some things, some formative elements, some building block, and then, you know, Right. Hey, I got tickets to go see, you know, Ray Davies <laughs> or whatever. And yeah. you come out of it and you're like, <laughs> you know, it's like the way that Homer goes all in on a thing. Like, Ray Davies is the best, you know, yeah. guy that ever lived or whatever. <laughs> well, the, the, it's those things that draw you back, push you forward in a way, or that pushed you forward. You, you know, like um, Josh is a real cool guy, too. I did a, an interview with him. When did you start playing with him? Um, a year ago, uh, a year and two days ago, uh, we, oh, so uh, you were probably on the hideout was, session thing. That was the catalyst. Oh, and okay. it was, you know, this, it was at the end of summer 2020 and the vaccines weren't even in sight at that point. Um, and he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously like hopes are, you know, we're on break. Like. You know, there's no festivals and the, the types of things that we do, you know, it's, it's not safe to congregate that way. Um, but would you and John Perrin want to play these songs with me in an empty venue and live stream it and record it and make an album of it? Okay, everything about this sounds great. And whatever I think Josh knows this, I'm a huge admirer of his work. Um, you know, met my wife at a Pope's show and... Um, so, you know, it was, it was, you know, basically anything that Josh had asked me to do, like, do you want to go hijack trucks or something? I would have probably <laughs> been like, with you? Yeah, man. Um, That's awesome. So, so uh, we've I, had all of these anniversaries, you know, <laughs> recently of like, you know, our first rehearsal and then the hideout gig and things like that. Um it's a nice little band family that me and him and John Perrin have developed. Nice. Did you so? Did you know him before the Popes, or did you meet him like while that like did that bring like uh, being aware of his music? Is that kind of where that relationship kindled? It came from being aware of his music, and we had okay. a million mutual friends, and just never crossed paths. And then I had become friendly with his brothers a long time ago okay. uh, and so it's just one of those things like when they reunited and started doing shows like i you know made up my business to get tickets and um so yeah there must have been something you know that 
And we, we met a couple of times, not, you know, like in the last 15 years, we met a couple of times and just like, oh, I really, really dig your music. And, you know, but. Uh, that's amazing. You know, I would have thought you met your wife at a Kiss concert. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, but, uh, yeah, so. I, you know, and I, I still don't know, you know, because as Josh um, has told it, you know, he's like, well, you know, I thought, well, I always wanted to play with John, and I always wanted to play with John, and I'm, you know, what, you know, it's not like I'm, I bothered to ask him. I don't know what the basis of that was, if he, you know, had seen me play something, or it was just something innately that he trusted, you know. John C. M. Juan seems like he's, you know, his pants aren't going to fall down on stage. I don't know. Um, that's what I mean. Those are all good. <laughs> you know, no, good that's qualities, a valid qualification, yeah. I'd say, you know. <laughs> yeah, he'll be good. He'll show up. We're streaming uh, it, so I guess we can edit that bit if it does happen. But no, he's a, <laughs> he's a real interesting guy. I did a, I did a talk with him about the hideout sessions and like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. You did really good on that. Like that record rips. Oh, thanks, man. I, I, I'm I'm really proud of that that album, and I'm proud of that whole undertaking, and just the bravery behind it. Like this new band that didn't exist, and like, okay, so yeah, I set a date three weeks from now. We're gonna do first takes of these ten songs on camera, and uh, you know, I think the excitement, the excitement of the whole thing. The fact that I think the three of us were all like, oh, this sounds pretty good. Um, the excitement of it really obliterated any nervousness or fear that, you know, because I'm, I'm saying this all out loud now, and I'm like, yeah. I can't believe I agreed to do that, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also, that's, you know, that's the power of the power of congregation, you know, like, well, look, if I'm not going to be the one to say no, if, you know, if he's doing it and he's doing it, you know, I think that we all maybe bolstered each other in some way right well also that works out in that like it's us against the world type of situation like yeah bring it on we're having a great time and so should you you know what i mean like that doesn't uh, that that's the beauty of the band or the team uh mentality in that sense um but yeah that so when that was going on were you still were you working on uh the hush drop stuff because it would have been recorded earlier but were you working on finishing it not at that point we okay did a series of sessions in 2008 2009 and had stuff booked for right when you know everything went down right. um and so it was like so joe and i were talking you know every day and that was just the friendship that we had just this ongoing messenger chain that you know goes for miles and miles and we kept talking about the record and the music and he had some ideas about it but it was all very much like well, you know, provided that, you know, people uh, do their part to get this virus under control, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll go back in there when it's safe and um, complete it. Um, so, yeah, there were, you know, a lot of music that was, you know, a lot of the music had been completed um, and things had been mixed, you know, before it all, before it all went down and, uh you know, and then, like, you know, the studio, obviously, initially, like, okay, we're closing until, you know, it's safe to, yeah, 
and can we find some way that it's safe to work again? And then they eventually came back with sort of like, you know, every other day is a disinfecting day and, you know, masks and social distancing and, you know, little things about, you know, here's where you don't want to touch the doorknob because they'll, they'll you know, I think back when surfaces were more of a sort of unknown quantity. Right. Um, so, yeah, in Joe's lifetime, we had plans like, well, there's some really great songs that we need to record to, you know, if we're going to put out an album, you don't like, oh, we didn't get around to recording our best songs, you know. Oh, well, um, you're going to, um, or at least we were, you know, that seemed like a thing worth waiting for. Um, I, I thought there were a few load-bearing songs. And then, you know, I mean, just before the sort of the sun came out again, you know, unfortunately, Joe, you know, had a heart attack and a stroke and just did, didn't make it. Um, so, you know, it's not like you're in, in that moment even thinking about your work or your music or anything like that. But eventually, when you're kind of looking for a way out of that misery, it's like, well, hang on, you know, he played some really cool stuff and we played some really cool stuff and I think people need to hear it. And and it also forced us to be a little creative because there were some songs that we hadn't recorded. And one of the things I remembered is like, wait a minute, we did a gig not long after we had reunited where we, and you, you, can, I mean, you cannot make this up, but we played in a brewery. And so it's, you know show up and now all right well yeah man uh the you know beers on us all night just nice. just go up to the bar you know when and yeah so we got you know we got pretty liquored and uh you know and it's not like we were you know motorhead or something but uh you know that was just, it was just like we're having a great time hanging out and we're in this fun place and they're free beer so that by the time we go on stage it's very loose and playful and all of those things and we found out much later after the fact that unbeknownst to us someone had done a multi-track recording of the show oh nice and you know initially it was like well with the hassle of buying masters from someone and we're going to record anyways and yeah we were pretty drunk and then suddenly when your opportunity to record together to play together again is it has ended. Um, it's like, I should probably look about trying to find, you know, find that, those recordings. And I got in touch with the guy who recorded it. He's like, yeah, man, you know what? I still have it. I'm going to send it over to you now. Don't, I don't need a penny for it. And, you know, and I think a lot of that was just the like, yeah understanding the circumstances we were in with uh, our bereavement. Um, but so I listened to it and I put it on and there's a couple songs that made it on the album. In yeah. fact, that uh, were from that gig and Joe is just playing the most utterly ridiculous stuff <laughs> um, throughout. And so it was like this great gift that he'd given us from the beyond um, of, uh, yeah, I don't know we're being recorded and none of us knows that you know, someday we won't all be here together at the same time, but uh, here's uh, me on the drums playing these songs um, 
perhaps at my most explosive and expressive. That's beautiful. And you know, not and then you know, you play us it's like literally dance dance like nobody's watching, drum like you don't know you're being recorded, I guess. <laughs> that's beautiful. So I'm proud that we got some of that on the album. Yeah. What tracks? What tracks ended up being uh, those? Psychic Space is the main one. Oh, um, that rip. So man. that's yeah, that's from the brewery, oh, and uh, and there's one called Secrets that's also from the brewery. No All right. Wow, that's I listening through the whole record, I could not tell that you, they all sound congruent. You know what I mean? Like, um, it sounded like whatever studio you're in, they like I didn't pick those two apart from being a live cut like right and i guess you know yeah and in that point it's like well you know obviously you know normally you'd get us all playing together and everybody getting their great take but it's like you know what me and jim were you know i don't want our drunken harmonies on there we can i think we can (laughs) do studio quality vocals uh you know and put a little tlc into them um and you know similarly you know, there's a guitar arrangement for it, you know, that, so there were some things that kind of glued it to the rest of the tracks. Okay. Well, it's a, it's like listening to the whole, all three records and congr- like getting ready for this conversation for the last month. Um, like it f- blends really well. And there's this beauty within the songwriting and the tonality and like kind of talking with you, like getting this the understanding that's kind of buzz cocked Beatles influence, like, it's a it's a banger of a record, and um, oh, thank you so much. Um, and like the kind of like uh, I heard this the other day, and like it, I think it makes a lot of sense for this conversation. Like, um, it's the, the, I was listening to this um, other conversation. And this guy compares art to honey, in the sense that like bees are compelled to make honey, and there it's like honey if done right will last way beyond the bee's life and the guy compared art to honey and i think um to kind of cap things up here like uh i think joe left a lot of honey he did he really left us a ton um you know and my feeling you know in part was definitely like you know, this is a weird time to, you know, think about, you know, finishing a Hush Drops record and all this stuff. But part of it is like, you know, when certain people die, like when Charlie Watts dies, you know, generally there's an understanding among millions of people like, oh, Charlie, yeah, God, and that Charlie feel. And, you know, we all know what Charlie does and what he played on and all that. Right. And, you know, maybe with your best friend, there's a bit of like, this kid was really special and people don't necessarily in some great number know about him or his work or you know why we thought he was so great and so there's a sense that well you know um you know maybe for the time being you know my job is to present it and share it and make it available and make it something that you know people can hear and you know, um, hopefully, you know, have the takeaway of like, damn, Joe Camarillo, all right. Definitely. No, and I think that's, I think that like when you're in a band like that, that's what you want. You want to make sure that record gets out. 
<laughs> and I'm sure that's what he wanted too. And at the oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, John, thanks so much for for chatting with me today. This has been awesome. Oh, it's been a joy, uh, and I really, you really enjoyed the line of questioning and uh, just the the dynamic between us. Uh, it's been a fantastic experience. Well, thanks. It means a lot. I put a lot of work into to looking into who I'm about to talk to, and like, um, I really appreciate. I'll, I'll cut off where we. Were.